1: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Let it bump up.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you very early on a Friday morning. We're recording this with my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. We're going to wrap up our division previews just in time for the regular season, finishing with the Atlantic Division. Before we do, I just want to remind, beg, implore, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes, we can also be found wherever else you're consuming your podcasts, including now Spotify. Isn't that exciting? But iTunes is still the best way for us to really gauge how well um, everyone enjoys the, how much everyone enjoys the pod, um, how many people are listening to it. So please take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day, search Hardwood Knocks on iTunes, subscribe. Give us that five-star review. You know you want to. Please leave any comments in the review section as well because we always love to hear from you guys. And yeah, and you can also obviously get at both of us on Twitter if you have any feedback, but we really do appreciate all the ratings. And if you've already done that, please continue to steal people's phones or just suggest us to anyone you know who is looking for only half-crummy basketball takes. And with that, though we get to the question that everyone is dying to know the answer to because it's been about six years since we last recorded. Andy, how are you
1: doing? I'm doing good. This is probably our quickest like turnaround in weeks, right?
0: Yeah, we've done since they're they're coming out. We we recorded the Jimmy Butler thing on like Wednesday afternoon, basically when everything happened. But it came out on Thursday. I put it out early that morning. And This will be out as soon as we're done. So yeah, it's going to be a quick turnaround. I don't think we've had this quick of a turnaround since the Pistons traded Blake Griffin and we held an emergency pod for
1: that. We got to hold more emergency pods. There's always emergency worthy things happening in the NBA.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe when Jimmy Butler finally gets dealt to wherever that, that might require an emergency pod.
1: I'm sure it will. Um, I'm doing good. I think I've already answered that question, but, uh, I'm excited to dive into the Atlantic division. Don't let the fact that I asked you two minutes before recording which division we were doing fool you.
0: No one would have known that if you didn't say anything. So your honesty, I'm sure, is appreciated by all of our listeners.
1: Let's do it then. Um, Should we go alphabetical again? Yeah, let's do it. All right. That starts us with the Boston Celtics. Um, I'm going to let you do their vitals as you've been doing, um, and then you can throw it back to me for the questions.
0: All right, that works for me. Um, excuse me. Boston last year, 55 and 27. They're vitals according to Cleaning the Glass, 18th in offensive efficiency, first in defensive efficiency, and sixth in net rating, plus 4.1 points per 100 possessions.
1: One Before I ask you the first question, one number that jumps out to me that I don't think people um, realize is 18th on offense they they're and i think they have some question marks offensively this season too but uh we'll save that for later maybe i'm going to start with what do you think their best season, best off season move was
0: i mean it's kind of tough to really pick one because they didn't do anything um <laughs> really i i bringing back aaron baines was smart i so it's like one of their lone off season moves if you look at it it's like oh okay uh, th- that was solid I actually kind of like the Robert Williams pick though. I know a lot of people have talked about um, some of the issues he's had. It doesn't seem like I what did he do? He forgot his wallet somewhere. He was late um, somewhere as well. I kind of understand the concerns there, but he was a lottery talent on a lot of Mark uh, mock draft boards. Wow. Excuse me. And for them to pick him up uh, later in the first round is just a pretty big deal. And, when you're kind of looking at the future of this team at center, that's maybe the one place where they might be kind of uncertain. And this, again, it doesn't, with the way the league is going, the Celtics are perfectly built to run the East as of now for the next five to 10 years. But you just kind of look at the roster. Al Horford can be a free agent in 2019, or he'll be a free agent in 2020. He's not going to be around forever. Uh, Is it Tice? Are you just never going to play with a real center? Aaron Baines isn't going to be an anchor for this team beyond his two-year contract. And so now you pick up this nice kind of flyer at the five and Robert Williams, who's a different kind of big compared to those other two, uh, someone with more pop. But just, you know, you got what could have been a lottery talent at number 27, and I I think there's a lot to like in, in them making that gamble.
1: He's my pick, too, um, and for a lot of the same reasons. They they didn't really do a lot this summer, but I remember watching uh, Robert Williams play a little bit in the – I think it was in the NCAA tournament, and he just looked like a guy who was literally – I know this word gets thrown around a lot in basketball, but he seemed like he was exploding off the floor. He's just a ridiculous athlete, and I think there's two types of centers in the NBA right now and, and probably going forward for the next few years. Um, there's the playmaking sort of skilled center, which is, they already have an Al Horford, a guy who can pass, a guy who can shoot, um, a guy who does a lot of things that we don't traditionally think about with centers. And then there's the rim rolling rim protecting explosive center, like a DeAndre Jordan, um, Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella type, um, So you basically have the center with the expanded skill set, and then you have the center with the sort of pared down essential skill set. And now they have Horford and they have the potential for the other kind too. So it just adds to this Mm -hmm. versatility, which has been a calling card of Boston. It seems like basically since Brad Stevens got there. Um, So he just allows them to be able to, or potentially allows them. I, I think I probably still have to throw that word in there, but there's now the potential to play uh, yet another style of basketball if you've got him on the floor.
0: Yeah, I'm totally with you.
1: Biggest loss or worst offseason move?
0: I don't. There, there isn't one either. Doing, and yeah. so that, <laughs> this, this could be a situation of what do you wish um, that they that they did? And I don't even think you look at this roster, and I don't even think you 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 can say, "Hey, I, I wish they did something else," or that I wish they targeted. Um, another ball handler or just some more shooting and and maybe shooting could end up being a concern with this team is jason tatum going to replicate his accuracy from beyond the arc will jalen brown do the same uh what is gordon hayward going to look like in in the regular season they seem to have a lot of they have a lot of above average shooters how many of them are going to be high volume shooters and that's you know al horford um, a guy who's going to, if he's going to shoot above 40% from three on how many attempts per 36 minutes is that going to come? Uh, could be kind of the same question with Jalen Brown. Uh, it's not going to be a question with Kyrie Irving. It will be a question with Tatum just because he's a sophomore, but that's like super, like ridiculously nitpicky and might not end up being a problem at all. Uh, it, I don't even know, just looking at this team and and this might kind of, it doesn't really leak into one of the other categories, but it it, it was like, what was their weaknesses last year? And you were talking about their offense being 18th in efficiency. And one of the biggest concerns beyond that was when Al Horford and Kyrie Irving were both off the floor, the the offense just cratered. And Mm -hmm. during the regular season, they logged 2,136 possessions without those two. The Celtics' offensive rating during that time, 99.1% which would be in the fourth percentile, according to Cleaning the Glass. Now you're getting Gordon Hayward back. And not only that, now you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who kind of became, and if you want to throw Terry Rozier in here, I'm a little bit lower on him uh, than most, just looking at the efficiency. Some of his debt detonations came on. But again, you have those three guys who took on expanded shot creation roles last year without Irving and Hawfer- Horford. So even if Hayward isn't the perfect fit, even if things the worst, worst, worst case scenario plays out with him, you now have these other players already in in place who can kind of shoulder that load during the minutes when both Horford and Kyrie Irving are on the bench. So for me personally, I don't think there's anything to dislike about the offseason. We could have talked more about those splits if you didn't have a potential top 25 player in Hayward coming back from injury.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if Hayward's the guy that he was uh, that last season in Utah, that should certainly help Um, what was a mediocre offense last year. Because I I think they just give a lot of minutes to guys who are um, objectively minus offensive players like Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, um, Marcus Morris, (laughs) hurts you offensively, although he probably doesn't think so. Um, He was like a
0: pull-up lifeline at points for them too last season, which is just wild to talk about now.
1: But adding Gordon Hayward, like you said, that makes a huge difference. Um, I guess the one significant move they they made that I'm that I might be able to nitpick is the Marcus Smart deal. But I, I mean, I'm not going to. <laughs> I kind of teed it up. I don't think it's that bad, and I don't think many people are complaining about that deal. His offense um, has been widely and and rightfully panned over the course of his career, but he's still for the most part, been a plus player just because he does so many things other um, than scoring. So I, I'm with you. It's really hard to pick something specific that's a big loss or a, or a big whiff in the offseason, so I'm not going to force it.
0: The Marcus Smart deal is just kind of interesting because to them, on their roster, four years and $52 million, it's, it's an investment, but it's one that you know just works because of what he does for them defensively, and his on-off splits are just generally ludicrous. But when we talk about using him as now, he finally gives you this later on in the season when he's trade eligible, he gives you this salary filler anchor that you didn't really had before without tapping into your superstar pool. I don't know how good that deal would look on another team. And he would never have been the headliner in a blockbuster anyway. But if you only had to give up one youngster instead of two or three and pair him with Marcus Smart's salary, that's the Celtics' path or part of it to making better trade offers. I'm just not sure what team would be really chomping at the bit to to pay him that money. It's not untradeable or even close to it, but his value in Boston, it has this probably less so, but that like Evan Turner feel of where would it look like everywhere else. And And maybe it would be fine because he's just so good defensively and that tends to translate. But it would be something worth asking if, in fact, the Celtics were planning to use him as that salary filler anchor.
1: Yeah, that would be interesting. I didn't think about that, but that that could certainly make some salary matching easier in trades. Um, most likely breakout.
0: So uh, this to me comes with the caveat that I won't pick rookies or sophomores generally for this. And so I'm going with Jalen Brown, who hasn't had the the best preseason But you just look at what he was able to do last year, improving his offensive efficiency, becoming a reliable three-point shooter amid actual volume. Uh, During the playoffs, he averaged 18 points, 4.8 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 0.8 steals, and 0.6 blocks per game, shot almost 40% from downtown. Uh, He really grew up offensively. And Role reduction is a ubiquitous danger in Boston right now. Just looking at having Gordon Hayward come back and also for Brown and and even Tatum specifically, they were allotted certain freedoms without Kyrie Irving in the playoffs that might not be as accessible to them. Now Brown is still adaptable enough to thrive within this offensive model. He was never being groomed as this on ball attacker in high volume or a high usage role anyway, over half of his offensive possessions last year came as spot-ups and in transition. That's actually more than Jason Tatum's uh, distribution there. And even if he's makes a lateral move on offense, even if you see his scoring dip a little bit, I'm a firm believer that the bulk of his leap is going to come on the defensive end because it's just there. You can see it with... doesn't always come out on the right side of these matchups, but we're talking about someone who's used almost in the same vein as an Andre Robertson because he's going to cover point guards and shooting guards, but he can go up against some of the bigger wings. He spent some time on Kevin Durant last year and then to have someone and guys like him, there's no one like Kevin Durant, but he's just talking about a bigger wing, but to have someone who you also are going to throw against. um, I remember they were playing the jazz and he defended Donovan Mitchell a bunch. So to me, that's super valuable and it wouldn't be a surprise if he starts to get all defense rumblings this year, uh, just looking at how good the Celtics defense needs to be, projects to be, and just the range of assignments that he can cover, and then the the improvement that, he, that he's had over the first two years. I could see this being a really big third season for him, even if uh, the offensive cachet isn't there.
1: I'm going to go with Gershon Yabusele. I'm okay
0: with that but I want you to justify it in 1000 words.
1: I'm just joking. Um I was expecting more of a reaction from you. I'm actually going to break one of your rules and pick Jason Tatum, who is a sophomore. Um but there's just uh, on this roster I think a lot of these guys kind of we already know what they are and in some cases it's really really good like Hayward, hey, Horford, Nerving, a bunch of all-stars. Um I understand the Jalen Brown pick, and I, I I still think he has a lot of potential. I'm not quite on board with a lot of the offseason and, and preseason projections on him. A bunch of people have him already as like a borderline top 50 player. Um, and if he's that, he's he certainly justifies being picked here. But I'm going to go with Tatum, um, who's probably a little bit of a cop-out because he kind of sees control of the team after everybody went down last year anyway. But... I'm going to use his playoff numbers too. his, his three point shooting fell off in the playoffs, but he averaged almost 20 points a game um, over four rebounds, almost three assists. He was clearly the offensive hub in a bunch of those games. Um, And it was, it was over the last couple months of the season into the playoffs where I finally was like, okay, I, I get what everybody's seeing with this guy. I, at the start of the season, it was just like, I kept waiting for this super hot, shooting start to cool down and it never did. Um, If he's even close to the three point shooter that he was last season, and then he adds some of the the confidence and the isolation stuff that we saw from him in the playoffs, those two things together. um, And he's, he's instantly, I I think he might even battle for like the number two option um, on this team. And I don't think that's crazy to say. I'm obviously not the first one to do it. Uh, He could leapfrog, Gordon Hayward just in terms of scoring options. And so he's my pick. It seemed, Like I said, it seems like a little bit more of a cop-out than yours, but uh, I'm going to roll with it.
0: I mean, I think that's fine. It's also cheating again. Go ahead.
1: Player most likely to be traded.
0: This is actually a really tough one. When I was looking at this last night, I don't know that I could come up with a great one. I might have picked Kyrie Irving. Before he came out and nope. said he wants yep. to resign in Boston, we know yeah. they're maybe working on an extension with Terry Rozier, and you're not going to get adequate value for him when his salary is so low. Marcus Smart is probably just the pick for me because of the salary filler, but I still can't shake like. What if it's Gordon Hayward? Or if it even That's is, even still is Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving definitely becomes available if Autenticumbo or Anthony Davis become available. I don't expect either of them to be available, which is why I wouldn't pick Irving then. And so you, Gordon Hayward's interesting because you know Irving wants to come back. You've paid Smart. You might pay Rozier. Jalen Brown's extension eligible this summer. Jason Tane will be extension eligible the following summer. Al Horford could hit free agency in 2019. Gordon Hayward could hit free agency in 2020. By the time, you know, Brown's extension actually would kick in or next deal kicks in, and the same with Tatum, you're looking at the repeater tax. And is there maybe some appeal in trading Hayward, um, particularly if if you're not much better than you were last season, even though he's producing for you, for just cheaper guys and maybe some picks and or cost-controlled prospects uh, to give you more financial flexibility there? There would be teams who are interested. Uh, the Heat, uh, for one, if they miss out on the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes, but it'd just be interesting. Uh, it, what if for some reason Gordon Hayward over dilutes Boston's star power and they they can you know get some cheaper players and just more flexibility there? Doesn't seem particularly likely, uh, but Danny Ainge, I, no one on the roster is is untouchable usually with him, and and so. That just be something way, way long, long, long shot, just I'd be curious about.
1: That is exactly the name uh I was gonna go with and the reasoning was <laughs> like you said, no one's really untouchable in Boston. Um, but I agree that it would be a long shot, regardless. Um The thing with Hayward is th- that's a lot of money. Um, <laughs> And so I'm not sure how tradable that contract even is. Um, I mean, how many teams around the league are going to want to pay Gordon Hayward over thirty million dollars for the next three seasons? Maybe there's some, um, but I mean, when I scan over this roster, though, I just you made an interesting case for Marcus Smart earlier as like a salary matching type of a player, and that that's interesting to me. But I'm going to go with uh, Gordon Hayward here as well, with the caveat that I just I think it's Highly unlikely.
0: It's probably going to end up being Aaron Baines or Marcus Morris, just because those are the more easily movable pieces, Making both making under $5.5 5 million.
1: That's probably true. Um, better defense or offense?
0: That's probably actually a tough one, but I'm going to go with defense because they were tops in the league, according to Cleaning the Glass, um, with NBA's new adjusted um, possession data. Uh, they were second um, in defensive rating last year, but behind your Utah Jazz. They're just so good defensively and and switchy they're going to need Kyrie Irving to try just as hard if you're going to play him heavy minutes and you want to kind of replicate that but even so there are going to be more kinks to work out on the offensive end with the integration of Hayward and balancing his role with not just Irving but some of the guys who were used to higher usage um, performances last year toward the end like Brown and Tatum and, and Terry Rozier so I would expect it to be their defense but their offense does have the potential to be in the top five if everything clicks.
1: I actually think it's pretty comfortably defense. Um, That 18th to first gap is, is pretty big and I'm not sure people realize how good of a defender Gordon Hayward was um, in Utah. He's not um, Jimmy Butler or or Paul George, but he's a very, very solid defender on the wing. And I think Brad Stevens is going to know exactly how to use him defensively. And their, their switchability um, two through four with Hayward, Tatum, and Brown. Uh, that makes them a super interesting defensive team to me. I I I'm with you in the sense that I think their offense will improve. I just don't think it makes up um quite enough to catch that defense.
0: Hayward's an interesting point about his defense. He was really good in Utah. Curious to see what he's like post recovery. Are they going to have to throw him on bigger, he's, maybe more stationary players?
1: I feel like he's got to be the like the the four. Um, right. I know it's, it's mostly positionless, but he's probably the guy that's going to have to guard. Um, generally the bigger guy on the other team playoffs or nah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Playoffs. (laughs) Um, do you have them finishing first in the East? I'm so torn between them and Toronto. Um, it, it, you know, we went through this last time when we were kind of redoing like some of our picks. I believe I did have them winning the East when we when we initially did the the Eastern Conference standing projections. I'm just I'm not sold on it right now. I, I think it's firmly that they and the Raptors are kind of in their own tier. And now that I'm looking back, I actually picked the Raptors, and we'll get into them soon. But I think I'd probably stick with them. I just feel I just feel like Toronto might have the the higher slightly higher ceiling even though Boston arguably has more star power.
1: Yeah, I think Toronto is first too um in the regular season. But I and I I'm sure you'll agree with me here. I wouldn't be even a little bit surprised to see the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals.
0: Yeah, I don't wanna I don't wanna have to pick. Like I I like between the Celtics and the, the Raptors right now. That's it's, how close I think it is.
1: Yeah they're they're both Really, really good. I, I still am going to stick with Toronto finishing first in the East, but either one of those teams in the finals wouldn't surprise me. All right, let's move on to the Brooklyn. So that's your ceiling for them, would be Boston. You could see yeah, that. I My ceiling for them is the finals. Um, I don't think – I think with Toronto and Boston, there's probably at least two teams in the West that I think are are comfortably better. In the war.
0: I'm going to say championship is the ceiling for them. Really? they can win the title. So if I'm looking at the Warriors, there are two teams that worry me in in terms of potential seven-game matchups as far as you could be worried about the Warriors, and Toronto and Boston are both of them. And Boston's played Golden State ridiculously tough over the past two seasons. Yeah, that's
1: true. Even when they – I mean, that year that – Golden State one seventy three. I remember a, a real scrappy Boston team giving them problems a couple times. Um, all right, let's move on to the Brooklyn Nets. You want to do their vitals?
0: I do want to do their vitals. Um, last season they were twenty eight and fifty four. Their vitals, according to Clean the Glass, twenty second in offensive rating, twenty second in defensive rating, twenty third in net <laughs> rating, minus three point nine points per one hundred possessions. How's that for consistency? Across the board,
1: <laughs> perfect. Um, what do you have as their best off-season move?
0: Um, I I really liked the Ed Davis signing. It I just, do.
1: Too.
0: You want you know you want to give Jared Allen more leeway, and he's going to be really good. I think we've talked about Allen on the pod before, and now you you go out and you get a guy who um, can play with him if you really need him to, and you want to go bigger. We kind of saw it with the way Davis played during Zach Collins's minutes last year, because he can go out and chase some guys on the perimeter. The Nets are not built to play that way. I'm just saying it gives you options. But just to kind of have that guy, he'll roll to the rim, he'll he'll fight on the glass, he's going to chase guys around at the defensive end. And, and you get him for relatively cheap. I know that big men of his archetype aren't supposed to be these massively expensive players, but just to have Ed Davis at under $4.5 million, I just thought that was a nice solid move. He's the guy who works for you, whether it ends up that this season is kind of another throwaway year, or if you end up tanking, cause he's not going to rattle the cages, but it seems like he's just a good player to have around. Or if you want to make that surprise playoff push, we're probably talking about Ed Davis being a huge part of their defensive growth.
1: I like Ed Davis a lot too. Um, I think he's been underrated for a few years now. There was one year where he just, owned every advanced stat among lakers players and the lakers were terrible so maybe it's not that impressive but he's just been a guy who's kind of flown under the radar for a few years you know i think he was pretty important for portland and it's going to be interesting to see whether or not guys like zach collins can fill in that role he's he's really good but i'm rambling and i'm not going to take him um i'm going to go with janan musa Despite the fact that he's posting a healthy minus four per in the uh, preseason, um, <laughs> he is a guy who, in the Adriatic League, which is it's not quite Spain um, where Luca Doncic played, but it's one of the better overseas leagues, and he averaged almost twenty points per thirty six over there. He averaged twelve point four per game, um, shot forty seven percent from the field, and you know, obviously those numbers aren't going to translate right away. But to be a teenager and producing in a league um, that's as high a level as the Adriatic League, that intrigued me. He was he was a guy that I thought was really interesting in the twenties in the draft, and uh, I I think Brooklyn actually got a couple guys. Um, they took a they took two shots on kind of a similar type of player with Shanon Musa and Rodions Krugs, But Musa still being a teenager. And producing the way he did in a, at a professional level is is really intriguing to me. Maybe it's a year or two away um, from him panning off. But fortunately, he's on a rookie deal that's going to pay him uh, between one and a half and, and four million dollars over the next four years. So they have plenty of time to develop him. So even if he doesn't pop this season, I still think that's a really nice pickup for them. Uh, most likely or no, never mind. Biggest loss or worst offseason move. Yeah
0: there another team that's kind of tough to pick that for? Shout Um, out
1: to these NBA teams that are making it hard on us to pick a bad move.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you kind of step back, um, a lot of people are going to say they might have overpaid Joe Harris at two years and $60 million. You you know I'm going to be fine with that. Just what he can do as a shooter and kind of a pump and dump guy. Uh, Even the Kenneth Reed trade to get involved on that was just smart. I I don't I don't think I could pick a move. I'm, I'm like really at a loss right now. Travion Graham was another stellar pickup. I still don't understand why the Hornets were just so quick or ready to let him go. So and Trevion Graham has not looked incre- like great during the preseason. I even like they turned Theo Pinson into a two way contract. Uh, that's just I don't know that there was anything to dislike about their offseason.
1: Long live Sean Marks because I'm gonna echo. Everything you just said, I don't I don't think there's anything we can really nitpick on. They picked up Shabazz Napier for less than two million a year. He was great last season. Um the Joe Harris contract actually descends in value. So he goes from making eight point three this year to seven point seven next year. Um it's just one shrewd move after another for Sean Marks. They've they've set themselves up very well. Now we move to most likely breakout.
0: I know who you're going to pick, but I'm going to pick...
1: I'm not going to try to surprise you, but...
0: I hope you do, but I'm picking Karis LeVert. And he's just... He's so good, and people don't talk about him enough. I know he missed a bunch of time as a rookie, but he really... He came along, and you know, quickly on his defense, it's not there, but he's just so active. He's eventually going to be good at that end. They're using him on some of the toughest backcourt assignments. He has almost a 7-foot wingspan... Uh, so he's gonna be able to guard some of the the bigger wings for certain periods of time. He led all Brooklyn players last year in deflections per 36 minutes. Non-Jeremy Lynn division, of course, who appeared in only one game. Uh, I just I, I like what he's gonna be able to do there. He he can be disruptive. I think that's the word to really describe him. Is even when the, the decision making isn't there and the reads aren't there, just watching him in the half court, he is disruptive. Offensively, better than people think. Someone with his first step should be a little bit more comfortable pulling up off the dribble. Seems like he's really putting a focus on looking for his own shots more during the preseason, but he's a really good passer, and they've kind of groomed him as a guy who can run point, not just for longer stretches, but for just protracted periods of time um, and not just in transition. That He can do it in the half court. He was third on the team in assists per 36 minutes last year. I really like what he's just going to be able to do this year. It doesn't seem like they want D'Angelo Russell to be this table setter. And so that's going to give, that'll probably have him play off the ball more and give Karis Levert some opportunity to shine. And while I think a lot of people would pick, if they want to pick Jaron Allen, everyone knows my feelings about picking sophomores, but that's fine. D'Angelo Russell is a fine pick too, but Karis Levert is their most well-rounded prospect. And if he ups his pull-up volume while just improving his efficiency in on those looks, even a little bit, it's going to be a bigger season than expected for him. It wouldn't surprise me if at the end of everything we're talking about him as either the best or Brooklyn's most valuable player.
1: So I'm actually not going to surprise you. I knew you But mean. I am going to do a little caveat before I start into this. I'm starting to lose hope, believe it or not, on D'Angelo Russell. Um, wow. <laughs> I've just seen... So many games, um, whether I've actually I mean I've watched some games, obviously, and then every time I check a D'Angelo Russell box score, it seems like it's like eighteen points on seventeen shots. Um, and it's just I'm kind of running out of patience for him to to figure it out. Um, and I've relied <laughs> I've relied fairly heavily on this really small sample of pre-injury uh, D'Angelo Russell from last season when he was averaging 27 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds um, per 36 minutes in that that very first start of the season before he got hurt. Um, but I'm still going to go with him. I, I still think there is that number two pick talent in there. If he ever figures out how to consistently apply it, um, I, I think he's still – when you watch him, there's still the shell of a player that – do you remember all the comps when he was drafted Are like Steph Curry, James Harden hybrid? I mean, it's it sounds so crazy now. Um, but just the way he moves on some of his, his, uh, offensive plays is reminiscent of James Harden and not just because they're both lefties, but he has good pace coming off the pick and rolls. Usually he seems to see the floor, uh, fairly well. It's just the shooting. It's, it's the other part of that comparison. Um, that's, that's getting harder and harder to see. Like he doesn't have to become Stephen Curry, all time greatest shooter ever, but if he could just be, just give me like high fifties true shooting, and and I think he's a very effective player. Um, I'm not super confident he's going to do it this year, but I'm confident enough to still make him my pick here.
0: Um, I'm going to say something in support of D'Angelo Russell. I have not. I was lower on him to begin with, so maybe that's why I have not left. Um, The bandwagon, but of every player to appear in two preseason games so far, D'Angelo Russell is fifth in shot attempts per 36 minutes behind Clay Thompson, Joel Embiid, Paul George, and shout out Troy Williams for leading the NBA preseason in shot attempts per 36 minutes. He has not even played 36 minutes through his four appearances, though. Just saying, Russell is shooting 38.1% on 10.53 point attempts. For 36 minutes, and I think there's value in just having the guy who is going to try, try and isn't afraid or hesitant to give you that um, from-nothing offense. I think his from-scratch nerve will render him a one-man ecosystem unto himself if his efficiency ever catches up, kind of as you said. And the Nets, it does seem, are have at least granted him latitude without any strings attached.
1: That's a sentence or sentences to put in an article right there. And I still believe in the uh, Russell Dinwiddie backcourt, by the way. It was pretty bad last season, but I, I think they should try it again this year.
0: He's another good breakout candidate. I know he, he became overrated by year's end when looking at his efficiency last season, but I, I can see it. If he's just a little bit smoother pulling up off the dribble and maybe with just getting to play with some more consistent lineups. I could really see him being another guy that we we look back at and say had a great year.
1: Yeah. There's a bunch of guys on this team who are, I think I could describe as like being on the verge and both of those guys are definitely there. Player most likely to be traded. That's a good
0: thing. Hey, look, we brought up Spencer Dinwiddie. He's it's here. So I'm looking at this is, Damari Carroll will be a nice pick. I don't think anyone's going to trade for him just because they might know that unless the Nets are contending for a playoff spot, they'll probably buy him out and he'll then sign with Houston. Him and Trevor Ariza both, FYI. Uh, I, unless they're trying to anchor a blockbuster, though, if they get back involved with the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes, I, I feel like it's going to be one of their soon-to-be free agents. And you look at Spencer he needs a new contract this summer, D'Angelo Russell, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, and I kind of think Hollis Jefferson's going to be my pick. Uh, he's one of their better playmakers at this point. Fantastic defensively. His mid-range game has come along. I'm just not sure that he fits the mold of the player they want long-term. Uh, if they hash out a, a bargain extension before the deadline, things can change. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, though he just seems like someone that another team would be willing to take a flyer on in the sense that would a contender throw an end of first round pick at them or just a prospect that maybe they've given up on and i can't think of any teams while i was thinking about this and his salary at 2.5 2. million basically isn't going to net you anything big in return but as the nets now move into this this window where they have their own first round draft picks they have to be really careful about who they pay long term because you don't want to saddle yourselves with bad contracts you also don't want to add too many wins to to the column and in the sense that you don't want to be ninth in the Eastern Conference and just get these mid-end late lottery picks and it'll be the same question with D'Angelo Russell but I I think uh, that someone like Hollis Jefferson is just a tad more likely to be moved just because he's been involved in the trade rumor mill it seems like for the past two years
1: yeah, I could see that. And I think you brought up a good sort of batch of players to choose from, all these guys who are on expiring deals. Um, guys like Kenneth Fareed and Damari Carroll are making a lot of money, but maybe that's good salary matching money, like you kind of laid out with Marcus Smart earlier. Even Jared Dudley could maybe fit that. Um, this is This is a hard one for me, and I don't want to just agree with you and move on. Um,
0: Spencer Dinwiddie's possible, but again, the salary makes it so weird.
1: Yeah, the thing with Spencer Dinwiddie is you're going to, you'd, you'd almost certainly have to pair him with one of those salary matching guys that I mentioned, and, and maybe that's possible. What I think is going to happen, and this is another cop-out. Um, I'll, I'll say Spencer Dinwiddie with the caveat that I think it's just very, very unlikely. And I think they just kind of play it out this season. They, they haven't had their own draft pick in a long time, and I think they finally have it back this summer. I think they're probably just going to see how things look uh, with this group, probably let some of these veterans walk this summer and kind of assess which of these young guys we really want to bring back and add to this draft pick that we're going to make this summer. Um, better defense or offense? Oof.
0: I'm, well, maybe not oof. that's a. Wow, that was a terrible reaction. I'm going to say offense, uh, obviously. It's, they were better defensively for stretches last year than I thought they were going to be. And they allow a lot of the, or they force a lot of the right shots. I just, you look at this roster and the defensive talent isn't there. Uh, Jared Allen, I think he's going to be good and, and a little bit more rangy in the half court than most people realize. Karis LeVert, you know, I like him defensively. Spencer Dimwitty uh, can defend up a couple positions himself. Damari Carroll was fine last year, should still be fine this year. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is good. Travion Graham might be a nice defensive piece for them, depending on how much playing time he gets. There are a lot of players you could talk yourselves into as potentially plus defenders, but there are more just obvious plus offensive players on this roster to me.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty clearly... Offense as well. Jared Allen, I think has the potential to be a really good defensive anchor. And he probably, I mean, he's already their defensive anchor this season. I'm just not sure he's the kind of guy who can sort of single handedly transform a mediocre defense into a good one. I I think there's, I think there's a chance they're, they're top half of the league offensively and probably like 20th to 25th in defense. There is uh,
0: the stat so that I was gonna throw out there is that forty one point four percent of Brooklyn's opponents last year, uh their shot attempts came from the uh excuse me, wow, I'm really coughing today. Forty one point four percent of Brooklyn opponent's shot attempts came from mid range last year, most in the league.
1: Oh that's good. Um nice little shot profile stat there. Playoffs or not? Nah?
0: I'm going to say nah, but it's not as a reflexive of an answer for me. And I'll dip into the ceiling really quick for them as part of this. I could see them getting to close to 500. Just the Eastern Conference is kind of that wide open. And if for some reason you look at these fringe teams in the conference, there's a chance, I'm not saying a particularly big one, but there's a chance some of the higher rated fringe squads like Cleveland or Detroit or Charlotte decide that they want to blow it up because they're either uh, not in the postseason conversation by January early February uh, or the start of February um, or maybe they they are but they they decide they're not going to settle for the seventh eighth seed or just an opportunity to trade Kevin Love once he's eligible comes up or trade Griffin or Drummond comes up for for Detroit and the Nets there there just seems to be a high variance between their floor and ceiling I could just as easily kind of see them steering into a tank because this is the first year that this regime has their own first-round pick so I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but th- this could be a team that it does exceed expectations if you're just expecting them to win uh, a couple more games than they did last year and, and not even flirt with that 35-victory mark.
1: I'm pretty much where you are. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make the playoffs. I wouldn't be shocked to see them win 41-42 games. Um, so that's that's probably about their ceiling, but I'm still going to go ahead and say they miss. At least one more year. Um, all right. How about the Vitals on the New York Knicks?
0: Well, those are going to be a little bit scary. Um, and they'll probably be even scarier this year. But they were 29 <laughs> and 53. Uh, according to Clean the Glass, they were 21st in offensive efficiency, 25th in defensive efficiency, and their net point differential ranked 24th minus 4.1 points per 100 possessions.
1: All right, biggest off-season move for the Knicks?
0: Drafting Kevin Knox, right? I mean, maybe it's signing Emmanuel. Uh, Emmanuel, wow. Mario Hazonia.
1: I didn't know you loved Moutier so much.
0: No, please don't. Don't get me started. <laughs> uh,
1: Starting point guard, Emmanuel Moutier.
0: I was, you know, I was a lot. Many people did not like the Kevin Knox pick. I. I told you this, that I was mostly indifferent to it. He just showed me a lot in summer league, and I know the efficiency numbers. They're still just not even, um, they're they're not great. They're not even good. I'm not looking at efficiency for a rookie, even for most sophomores. It's if they can, if they have it, you know, like an OG Ananobi who had a bunch of his threes last year, or Jason Tatum who had a bunch of his threes last year, uh, great. But Kevin Knox looks like this guy who can play in the positionless era at every wing spot, and he's going to jumpstart half-court pick and rolls, but he could also be the the pop-out option or the roll-man option in those plays as well. What he showed me off the dribble in Summer League uh, is just, it could end up being huge for the Knicks when you pair him with a healthy Kristaps Porzingis, and there are going to be things he can do off the ball. Again, I talk about pick and pop, but he should be able to hit some spot-ups, might be able to cut pretty hard. A lot of the stuff he did at Kentucky was generally off the ball, even his, some of his on ball looks. And I I actually wrote about this. They're essentially off ball opportunities because he gets these catches, these passes while running. And he can come into a nice little floater while taking just one dribble or most of his floaters at Kentucky came with two dribbles or less. So I I like his potential at the offensive end. I want to see how he's going to hold up defensively because he, there should be stretches where he plays power forward in the NBA. Maybe not this season because the Knicks roster is kind of clunky, there, is he going to be strong enough to go up against those guys and he might just be a little bit of a tweener defensively and not in a good way where we kind of admire Draymond Green for being that now I don't know that he can guard a lot of the smaller players on offense it might just be he needs to go up against these small ball fours like even some power forwards might be oh, excuse me small forwards will be too much for him but it's for what the picks seem to be at the time I'm really excited to see what Kevin Knox does this year in no small part, because without Perzingis, he should really have the ultimate green light during the regular season. And if he doesn't, if we're talking about a Knicks team that has Tim Hardaway Jr. and Enos Canner and Trey Burke taking more shots, um, having higher usage rates than Kevin Knox, I will be fuming. Just FYI.
1: I don't blame you. Um, he's a guy that they should probably trust to just you know, let him take his lumps as a rookie and and learn from them. And it seems like that's what they're going to do based on uh, what we've seen from him so far. I'm going to go with Mario Hezonia. I wish they would have given him more than one season. And and this is going to sound a lot like cherry picking, and that's because it is. Um, But in February, I think we got a glimpse of the kind of player that Mario Hezonia can be. He averaged 20 points, uh, six and a half rebounds, two assists, three steals, Um, over two made threes shot 40% from three. Um, all those averages were per 36 minutes, by the way. Uh, he was really, really solid in February. And I, I dare say like really good, actually not just solid, um, in February. And I think he's a good hybrid three, four guy as we lean harder and harder into positionless basketball. Now, like I said, that's, that's big time cherry picking. That's one month out of the entire season. And I think you could probably cherry pick a bunch of other months and, and the numbers would look significantly worse. Uh, but that there's a blueprint for him. And I think if he can come close to that level that he was in the middle of last season, if he can do that consistently for the Knicks, I think that's a really, really strong pickup for them. Um, as again, we lean into this positionless era. Um, I knew you were going to pick him. <laughs> Biggest loss or worst offseason move?
0: Can I? I I'm going to cheat now and pick one that hasn't happened yet, but seems like it's going to. And that's, and I guess it won't technically count as an offseason move, but anything before the regular season, I'm counting as the offseason move. If they stretch, if they wave and stretch Kim Noah, I'm going uh. to be livid. There, <laughs> there are so many layers to the situation in New York, and whether he gives back m- any meaningful money matters. But it's tough to justify that as a good decision. Maybe there's value in not having him around, but they can just simply not have him around. Yeah, just and, tell him to home. Right, and that sucks for Joakim Noah. And make no mistake, he deserves all of his money. But that's just the business. And yes, you want cap room this summer because of KP's RF hold, yada, yada, yada. But this still reeks of the ever short-sighted, it's this summer or never stance, which is objectively dumb no matter how likely you think you are to land kevin durant kevin knox is young frank nilakina is not is young chris stops is about to get mega expensive but he's still young their 2019 pick should be you guessed it andy young and any if you're looking at it from next summer's perspective what free agent other than kevin kevin durant is worth accelerating your timeline for nobody and so if you're gonna tie all of your hopes to him Unless he's already told you he's coming, it just seems weird. And no, not every team can just wait out free agency for a top five guy. If Kevin Rent's available and want to come, you absolutely sign him. But you don't hamstring yourself to this idea that you need to hit these home runs in free agency. Uh, it, this should be a thorough, gradual rebuild, and to then stretch and wave, wave and stretch, joking no one when Tim Hardaway Jr. is still on your books for another three years. And which and the final thing I'll say on this—that's kind of the other thing. It was not this regime, but the Knicks wouldn't need to waive Noah to get up to max money if the if Tim Hardaway Jr. wasn't signed in two thousand and seventeen. He was given two thousand and sixteen money in two thousand and seventeen. Maybe they pay someone else because they're the Knicks, but I don't think you can make the the Noah stretch out to be this necessity or this ineludible move and. To to be honest, this front office isn't even entirely blameless because uh, Mills was around when they signed signed Tim Hardaway Jr. But that's, you know, okay, good. Scott Perry kind of isn't as culpable in this. But this both of them, you know, between Mills and Perry, they're not entirely blameless in this situation.
1: All right, if you're going to extend it into the the future, I think I'm going to extend this into the past because this is another team that's actually kind of hard to – find a terrible off season move forward there just there wasn't um just not a ton of options on this right I mean so I'm gonna go back <laughs> to the midseason trade that they made to acquire Emmanuel Moutier, uh which still just makes zero sense to me now and, and is <laughs> even more head scratching now that David Fisdale has for some reason decided that he should be starting at point guard over um frank nilakina it's it was just such a weird deal to me and while you were talking i pulled up the details of the trade they sent out doug mcdermott and a second round draft pick wouldn't you rather just have a second round draft pick than emmanuel moutier right now
0: or even doug mcdermott's rights yeah i might have been not as low on the trade at the time but it was in retrospect it's when you're looking at between him and Burke and them getting starting nods over Neil in the preseason, it's just
1: and they, a mess. They just got Mitchell Robinson with a second-round pick, who looks like he could be really, really good. There's, there, there is value in second-round picks um, for good front offices, and maybe that's not what New York is. But that was just such a weird deal to me. Um, Box plus minus has been tracked. In uh, the NBA since 1972-73. And uh, the cumulative version of that is wins over replacement player. And so there are 3,112 players who've logged NBA minutes since uh, (laughs) 72-73. Emmanuel Moutier is 3,091st in wins over replacement player through a player's first three seasons. He's just, he's been dreadful over the course of his career. Whenever he was on the floor for the Nuggets, they were worse. That continues to be the trend with the Knicks. And, um, I, sometimes I kind of feel bad really tearing into a player like that, but he just has not been anywhere near a plus for anyone. And, And like I said, I would probably rather just have a single solitary second round pick. And like you said, I'd probably rather have Doug McDermott too. So, um, in terms you of could stuff, say not trading
0: Emmanuel Mudiay or getting rid of Emmanuel Mudiay. Yes, I'll accept I, that. That'd be you didn't even have to frame this as a cheat, and yet you did.
1: <laughs> Although I don't know, it would have been cheating because who's going to trade for him at this point, other than the Knicks? Who've already done it. Um, well,
0: how much better would it look if they were treating Frank Ntilikina like more of an asset at point guard than Emmanuel Mudiay? That even would have been.
1: Yeah, like, if it was, that's that's probably true. I wouldn't hate it as much if it was if we could still. Frame it as like we're just taking a flyer on a young guy, and maybe it still is, but um playing him the amount of minutes that they are it just that just blows my mind are you this this gets me onto a little tangent. How do you feel about David Fisdale? I mean this is super 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 early, but what are your first impressions?
0: I'm fine with him i I think he's just his approach with neil Kena. I don't necessarily understand. I think he should just be starting more if you wanna and yeah. I'm this is the extreme because you're paying Tim Hardaway Jr. so much money. If you want to play Trey Burke in the starting lineup or Emmanuel Moody, fine. Bench Tim Hardaway Jr. and put Neil Aquina at the two-guard spot. That's just where I'm at because of what he can do defensively. At the same time he is more open-minded in general. We've t- he you you're talking about Frank Neilakina defending power forwards. He's been an advocate for positionless basketball. I really do like some of the things he said about his relationships with Kristaps, how he's trying to keep him engaged by pushing him to become more of a leader while he's recovering, but he also learned in Memphis to kind of take a step back and that you can't force a personality onto a player. I like David Fisdale. I I do, uh, but the Frankie Lakina development, and this is an organizational scale concern, I worry about what that's going to look like. I do think... uh, I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to say he's going to be great already, but he seems prepared to use Kevin Knox in his high-value, high, value, high value, multi-faceted capacity. I like him for the most part. I'm assuming you don't, which is why you asked.
1: I'm I'm torn because I really liked him in Memphis. I, you and I were both really confused that the Grizzlies chose Marc Gasol over him. Um, so I I'm, I'm, I don't dislike him. It's just... The Frank Milakina thing specifically is is a real head scratcher to me. So he's going to be one to pay attention to, I think, for the the course of this season. Yeah, it's uh, just mostly- I mean,
0: I, so good defensively already, and the Knicks were good defensively when he played with Kristaps Porzingis last year. In the time it was that they played, as just the only it, when Frank Ntilikina and Kristaps Porzingis were on the floor without Jared Jack last year, the Knicks had a ninety seven point two defensive rating. Offensive rating was be- just below one hundred four, but that defensive rating is legit.
1: Yeah. Um, most likely breakout. Uh, uh,
0: can I, I want to throw this back onto you in the sense that when I was looking at this and trying to think about it, can you, one, pick somebody who isn't a rookie or sophomore as a breakout player on this <laughs> roster? No, now sorry. that I'm saying it, you're probably going to pick Mario Hazonia. Um And two, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of options for like real breakouts. Uh, maybe Kevin Knox, but he's a rookie. Uh, it's not going to be Frankie Laquina, I I do not believe, because of the way that they're using him. I'm not going to pick Trey Burke. I'm not going to pick Emmanuel Moutier. I am not picking Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, Noah Vonley, if he makes the opening night roster, could be kind of an interesting choice. But if Cantor still... like
1: crazy per-minute numbers in the preseason.
0: Yeah, he's been ridiculous. But how much would he even play with Knox and his own young Cantor and Robinson? I don't have a good option. If I had to pick, if I had to pick, and I'm assuming that we do, I'm probably, and this. I feel like I'm going to want to vomit after saying this, but I'm just going to say Hazonia. Like that just might be the guy that gives you, <laughs> that might give you the from nothing offense that some of these other players aren't ready to 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 give you. And I, I'm fully aware it could be Kevin Knox, but I just, it's weird picking a rookie. Uh, he would be, yeah. he might be my top pick though, or my, Excuse, or my second pick if this could this question really is who's going to be the best player on the Knicks by season's end basically is almost what this equates to and I could see that being Kevin Knox
1: yeah I, I kind of didn't want to say Mario Hazonia because I already picked him for a different category but these these naturally kind of go together best offseason move and uh, most likely breakout, or at least they can naturally to go to go together and I agree with your assessment of the roster when you look up and down it's just hard to pick somebody who really jumps out <laughs> as a breakout candidate. So I'm going to go with Hazonia almost by default.
0: It's But you could also, it's funny because it could be Alonzo Trier. It's just we're talking about some of these guys that just don't have the experience associated with typical breakouts. You could see him if he's going to make uh, the roster or, or spend enough time with the the NBA team for him to be in that conversation. Mitchell Robinson, again, is just that pick. There There are a lot of players that could surprise you in good ways, but I don't think... You look at anyone on this team and, and can give him that that type of a leap of faith as a breakout player, and if you do, you're probably towing the line of, oh, he's a rookie territory, and what does that really mean? It you should be to, Frank Ntilikina. N- N- That's my problem. That's probably my still fundamental problem with the Knicks is Frank Ntilikina N- should be the, the the reflexive answer to this question, and he can't be. That bothers me.
1: You should be rooting harder for Trey Burke because this is the year he can finally. Pull ahead in the Burke uh, Beno Udry debate that we've been having for years and years and years.
0: He might have already. Uh, Yeah, I I, I am. I'm going to start rooting for Trey Burke and for him to shoot a zillion percent on long twos again,
1: which he did last season. I think that was the actual number. Yeah, zillion
0: percent. Might have been a zillion and one percent. I can't remember.
1: (laughs) Player most likely to be traded.
0: I want to say Tim Hardaway Jr., but it's got to be Courtney Lee. Just the, there were already rumblings that he doesn't want to be here. He doesn't seem like the type of person to to make waves, but if you want to clear out cap space uh, for next summer, more cap space rather, yes, it'd be nice to have him if Kevin Durant's coming or if you think you're signing another star, but if you can get that $12.8 million off the books for next season without having to take back long-term salary this season, you have to do it. And I don't, you're not going to get a first round pick for him, but maybe you get this throwaway young player Flyer, he he would just be the name to watch close to the deadline. And you're not Tim Hardaway Junior. should be the one you're shopping hardest. I don't know, I don't know how many sweeteners you would need to include to get rid of the final three years uh, on his deal. This is the fact that his deal. Maybe it's because Noah's on the roster, but three years and fifty four point five million dollars left in his contract. One of the worst deals in the league. One of the worst deals in the league. I just want to repeat that.
1: One of your favorite to talk about as well. It's,
0: and Tim Howard um, Jr I, might be able to be a good player off the bench. He is not going to be better than the 5th or 6th best player on a good basketball team. I'm
1: going to go with Courtney Lee too. Um in in addition to everything you said, that's that's a f- reasonable salary for a salary cap that's uh going up over 100 million dollars here in the next few years, 12 million. Um I think you could talk yourself into Courtney Lee being worth 11, 12% of your cap or some team could. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him move.
0: That's an interesting way to look at it because the cap is going to raise by about 8 million next season. He's making 12.8. And so if you kind of just look at it through that math, you're tacking on, you know, is he, worth the, is he worth almost $5 million more than the cap jump? And I would say yes.
1: Yeah. Better defense or offense?
0: I'm going to say offense. This is a hard one, actually. This is, well, they could be. I don't think they're going to repeat what the Suns did and and get that trifecta of ranking dead last in both offensive and defensive efficiency, (laughs) but they could be equally atrocious at both ends of the floor. They're more likely, though, looking at the the different types of players that they have and the upside attached to them. If Kevin Knox kind of pops, having Enos Canner, who is a good offensive rebounder and can get you buckets. Trey Burke, if he provides a nice encore, you were just talking about Mario Hazonia's numbers. You could see them being not really shitty on the offensive end. You cannot say that about the defensive end.
1: Yeah. I think offense they could maybe chop out at like 23rd, 22nd, and then defense I could see being uh, very close to the bottom. So I agree with you. It's probably offense. It's
0: got to be bottom five, right?
1: Yeah. I think that's a pretty safe call. Playoffs or not? I'm going to say playoffs. Wow. Okay. This is better than my, uh, I'm
0: not going to say playoffs. I'm it's saying better
1: not. than your Sean they, If
0: they do not have one of the three worst records in basketball this season, I know the lottery odds have changed still getting lateral chances for the number one pick with two other teams. That, that needs to be the goal. And if you're that bad, it's because you've probably given Kevin Knox and Frank Nilekina and some of these other younger guys like Mitchell Robinson, the the leeway to develop.
1: I could see them being bottom three, too. I'll tell you what. Watching the Kings last night,
0: <laughs> oh, it's, man. Hard.
1: it's hard to imagine anybody being worse. Uh, I'm here than for Buddy Heald, might. though.
0: I just want you to know.
1: You I, know, love, know I love Buddy Heald. Um, so, yeah, bottom three is certainly uh, in the picture for the Knicks. I don't know about worst record, but they, they can certainly to, get it, towards the bottom.
0: To their ceiling question, um, do you think that they could match last year's win total in any scenario? 29? Uh, yeah. If Kristaps comes back, I guess. I don't see a pathway to it, yeah.
1: 29 I wins could see them happens. getting to 29. I think they're, if I had to guess, they're probably like low 20s, though. As
0: they're, but as they're ceiling, you could see them getting to around 30. Yeah,
1: as they're ceiling, I could see 28, 29 wins. I'll
0: tell you right now, give Dave David Fisdale, Coach of the Year vote, if they get to 30. <laughs> Actually, I might not, because they should have tanked, but.
1: <laughs> yeah. And they, uh. Here's what I found on the list, how do you write they can- Hey, Siri.
0: Yeah, I don't know what that was about. I'm trying to mess with my phone case right now and Siri's going off.
1: (laughs) That happened to me a couple episodes ago. Okay, guys, we're actually going to – we audibled mid-podcast. Me and Dan send each other very, very secret messages while we're recording sometimes. And now you know. Unless Siri Um,
0: blows up our spot.
1: (laughs) We've we've now done over an hour on just three teams from the Atlantic Division because as you are are well aware – Dan and I have lots of things to say about every single team in the NBA. So we're actually going to reserve the uh, Philadelphia 76ers and the Toronto Raptors for an episode that we'll record next week. And we're going to pair those two um, with some awards predictions. So that'll be a fun sort of uh, versatile podcast that you can look forward to next week. In the meantime, uh, as always, Leave a rating, uh, leave a review for the show. We really appreciate all that, whether it's on uh, iTunes. I still haven't checked Spotify to see if you can leave ratings and reviews on there. Uh, okay, so do it there. If you're, uh, if you're not an Apple Podcasts guy, maybe we can get our Spotify reviews to catch our Apple reviews. That would be fun. Um, so, yeah, regardless of what platform you're on, you can listen to us. Uh, if you already are subscribed, rated, reviewed, all that stuff, be sure to share the show with your friends, uh, with your family. It will greatly enrich their lives. That's the Andy Bailey uh, guarantee. Um, Until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Kyle Anderson and to the mid-range assassin of all assassins, Benno Udry. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns.